Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackend and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we have a book group discussion for data cartels by Sarah Lambden. Uh, wow, really great and dense book. Highly recommend you read it. This conversation will likely help you navigate that book, which is very dense, or read the book and then come back to this conversation. Um, it is literally straight up the alley of the type of conversations Cloud 2030 has. Um, and I think you will find that our analysis of the book or the, the challenges that it provides, the data compliance, the governance, the legality, the threat, and broader implications of what uh, Dr. Lambden lays out in the book are all really important. Um, and I know that you will enjoy how our conversation goes, even if you haven't read the book. Um, this is actually a conversation that is perfectly uh, usable, legitimate, and interesting without having had to go through uh, and read the book, even though I still recommend that you do. I found it interesting in the book, um, there was a part that talks about automating governance. <clears throat> and I was curious about a couple of things. The first one was this, obviously it was written before the chat GPT thing, but sure. would AI play a part in that? And can you safely <laughs> automate governance? Completely? Uh, I, no. I, would be happy, I would be happy to officially dive into the book. We definitely have quorums, so let's do that. I I think so. Um, well, it's it's a it's a great question. I I think that as you point out, um, she put this whole thing together, wrote the book well before the kind of the the furor and the you know the noise generation around uh, uh, AI. But it was clear she finds the book, she finds the situation, uh, you know, pretty much intolerable and points out that, you know, you need governance of various kinds, regulation. Um, I don't think she delves very deeply into the specifics of how you'd go about it or how, how it would actually come to pass. Your question, I think, makes all the sense in the world when you have formulaic kind of declarative approaches to these are the constraints, these are the ways in which you define compliance, this is how you define non-compliance. Those things absolutely can be, should be automated and um, AI is going to absolutely take a play a big part. The thing that you can do with the AIs that I think will speed the process is because so much of the analysis about compliance or non-compliance, detection of non-compliance, is going to be built on kind of sets of rules. This is who has access to who does not. Under what conditions do you 
remove something from um, use in a, in a particular application? In what cases do you permit it? Those collections of rules or constraints, policies, however you want to define them, are exactly the kind of things that a, an AI is superb at. If you can make them definitive, you can, if you have good tests for them. And in, in many cases for compliance, certain kinds of compliance, or the actual function that you take in order to bring something into compliance, those are the kinds of things that an AI absolutely, in my mind, has the ability to, um, if not do completely under automated control, you know, 80, 85, maybe even 90% of the time, that would make a huge difference. I completely agree with you, but I question or what puzzles me is her definition of governance. And why do you say that, Joanne? Because um, even within a single industry, compliance by law is one thing. Rules and policies differ from player to player to player. You're going to have a minimum, maybe 40% of uniformity across that industry vertical that will agree that these are mandatory for governance but 60% will be fluid and fluctuating and blow with the wind based on business need, based on potential changes to legislation, based on politi uh, you know, political uh, uh, issues sure. or new issues I mean, that will arise in legislation where one thing can influence another that's already basically governing law. That jurisdiction is going to make a huge uh, impact here. And jurisdiction is not just geographic. It could be multiple right. industries, multiple uh, approaches. So, but so that's great. Let me okay. thought. without without mm -hmm. the data sets that are picky and very detailed to specific verticals and segments within verticals, the gains that you're talking about, while I absolutely agree with them, will be somewhat overshadowed by how governance is defined. Okay, how would you to, better- To allow for that fluidity. How would you better define governance in this case? I think we have to accept that it's a dynamic living thing, not a static point in time thing. Right. And I think if we can figure out how to do that with automation, then we can start to make progress of, or create an international standard of this is what governance means and make okay. it compliable. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like elevate the term or or put finite constraints around what the term governance actually means. Do you need law to do that? Not necessarily. Do you need an ISO standard to do that? Maybe. 
I guess I'm getting lost in some of the, the what we mean by governance here. Governance, yeah. Because because I mean the the way I was reading that book is um there's a lot of information that she considered public domain free and accessible that the cartels have been making inaccessible. Right. And and some of what we're talking about governance would would is furthering from my perspective furthering the the walled gardens right it, you know we could have laws that say if i funded the research i have to make it available um one of the things that you know even if even if we came back and, and I, i'm trying to figure out how governance fits into this but i'm sure it does if we came back and address one of her key concerns which is that public information information funded and created at the public's behest laws and research and um I, I didn't i didn't make it all the way through the book so definitely laws and research um mm -hmm. if if you turned around and fixed one of the fundamental issues that these these cartels are uh paywalling public data and said all right we're going to make it perfectly open for you to to have access they could still um, mine the data, control it. They could still like force you to have an account. They could track what you read. They could right. There's there's a huge amount of um, governance that they could actually apply into the into the data sets that they're providing. Even if you said, you know what, public data is, is now free. You could they could keep it. Uh, it's just like Google is the the gate the gate to public information. They're the gate gatekeepers to to public information also need to be you know subject to oversight and and regulation governance right. if you want to call it that. Um, and yeah. so that would be one thing. One of the first things that comes to mind for me is the the way in which these companies have made use of you know kind of laws on the book to actually accomplish what you just said which is take publicly funded you know supposedly you know fully fully available information and lock it up behind a, a paywall um, and they've done it with, you know, copyright law where you take a, um, <laughs> a legal, uh, uh, a legal document or a, um, a piece of legislation. And mm -hmm. as soon as you add some sort of commentary to that document, it's copyrighted and therefore that becomes, you know, that becomes the basis on which somebody like Westlaw, you know, says you're going to have to pay a hundred dollars to look at that that piece of uh, that piece of uh, of documentation. You can't get it. You can't find it elsewhere. You can't. There is nothing that that is uh, available to you. So, part of you know getting to governance is eliminating the loopholes that are being used right now. That strikes me as one of the, the big issues. The other kind of loophole that I find 
really disturbing that she calls out in the book is the fact that the, that government agencies are by law prohibited from using information about individuals in certain ways, gathering it. Right. And what they do, it turns out that private companies are not restricted from doing that. So they go out, collect the information, and then make it available to whomever wants to pay. As a commercial um, service, yeah. As a commercial service. And then you have government agencies who are restricted from, constrained from doing it themselves, going off to these companies and saying, here, I'll, I'll pay you for it. Let me let me have this information. I want to use it for tracking people, you know, for ICE or for, you know, some of the others. One of the most kind of really creepy um, ones is um, the, it's a private company. I think it's called, it's an, infra, it's a data broker called Safe, Safe Cap, Safe, Safe something. And what they did was do location tracking and focused on um, Planned Parenthood, um, fertility clinics, um, basically uh, any any um, organizations involved with um, a, politic a political bent. Well, what happened was it was they were selling basically information about to whoever wanted to pay about who was visiting um, uh, birth, uh, uh, Planned Parenthood, abortion clinics, various sources, and mm -hmm. you know, selling it to um, advocates of, you know, the, uh, um, quote, pro-life. Um, and it was, it, and it, it's creepy. I mean, they were basically doxing people who were, you know, who were attending or, you know, uh, getting information. Yes, who were who are pursuing legal activities in their state. Legal activities. Or, and then, of course, with some of the, the crazy state laws that have come in, they they literally are turning into, you know, tattlers um, of you know, that quote, um, you know, Come well, close in, to, in, if not transgress a new laws. In Texas, Texas they turned it into bounty, yeah, bounty, uh, bounty conditions, and so so you might actually have um, have companies that choose to pursue data like this on the on the opportunity of collecting bounties. I'm surprised we haven't seen it commercialized actually. Oh, it has. Well, it, that's it has been. That's what this. That's what this. Um, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I just came across it this past week. I'll 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 try to find so, the, so, uh, I mean, the reference. We're, we're um the sorry. I mean, what we're talking about in in, a, in some ways is governments bypassing the individuals bypassing search and seizure, like getting your phone metadata, and you know, which a government can't do without a warrant. But they could go to Google and say, "Hey, could I buy?" Bob Hirschfeld's, you know, uh, you know, location data over the last 60 days. 
And so instead of having to get a warrant for that information, they can just buy it straight out. Can um, I go? Can I go? And to, I have no protection. You know, is, I don't even know it happened. Uh, can I go to Facebook and get certain kinds of data about about me and that Facebook maintains that they don't even make available to me if I ask about it? Mm. But they're much they're they're perfectly willing to sell. Um, in math and and at you know some pretty amazing rates. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I I find that kind of the first order of business is you know kind of cleaning cleaning house and preventing and you know closing a lot of these loopholes. Um, and one one loophole in particular in the U.S. that needs to be closed super quick, and it's been going on for decades is, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but because I worked in that industry, got to be privy to it. There are huge data stores that have been collected by pharma companies based on the copies of the prescriptions that go from you to the pharmacist or from the doctor to you to the pharmacist that are then collected, not anonymously, by the way, and put into databases through IHS that are then sold back to the pharma companies that tell them which doctors prescribed which drugs to which people that were, you know, brought to which pharmacies and how many doses you got and exactly what that medication is for. Mm -hmm. And if you well, don't think well, how that it's, the insurance what, how companies... It's been yeah, how it's been yeah. prescribed and for what reasons, at least, you know, documented... Sometimes you it, it it gets messy in in a number of ways, but yeah, I'm quite aware of the ways in which electronic medical records, health records, yeah, um, get consolidated and and basically get get re-identified when you take lab reports when you take pharmaceutical um you know script and prescriptions um tests uh insurance records and payouts and i mean it's it's spooky scary just how much is available and um yeah. there are a couple companies that are working to kind of consolidate that kind of data and anonymize it and make it available to the pharma industry for the for a number of different purposes, looking at efficacy of particular mm -hmm. drugs, identifying with permissions uh, potential uh, participants in clinical trials, which is a very very big part of the expense of putting in you know new drug you know getting a new of course. new drug. So there are legitimate reasons for having the data so long as it is well-governed. The fact however, is oh, it's so not. You're, however, you're using, the you're using governance in a, okay. From a, from a. Right. Yeah. But, but here's the hitch. Why in God's name should anyone ever make the connection between all of that data that's used for healthcare and drug efficacy and trials, et cetera, et cetera. I 100% agree. 
I did not like when I worked for Glaxo and big companies like that for the early part of my career, it drove me insane that the privacy of the individual was being violated because the data was not anonymized. But more recently, think about this. There are two companies that I know of that I cannot name for legal reasons that are taking that data. No, because I'm test I have to testify, so mm-hmm. I'm I not allowed to say. But suffice, there's a very large data set that is now being was purchased by a credit corporation, one who has been breached in the past to say, we want to use this information as a variable in and putting that together with your credit scores well, to create worse, a rounded worse, profile. Worse than, that, of, worse than that, those kinds of databases have actually found their way into insurance companies. Well, insurance companies, they've been around for a long time, but now linking that to, to the Equifax or credit union or whatever the other you know, uh, uh, major yeah. players in that segment of the market are. FICO. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah. H- how? How do you stop that with her version of governance? Which was really oh, where I, 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 again, I, oh, I, good, I completely yeah. agree that her, her, her thoughts on governance are very, they're on railroad tracks. They don't go far enough afield. They're yeah. they're very you know they're very legalistic. They're very you know it's it's all about establishing regulation and then enforcing regulation. Um, yeah, I just found um, that there was too much she didn't think of. Okay. Um, like the situation I just described to you. Yes. Did you get the impression that that the book was trying to, to actually come up with solutions, come up with, you know, with serious recommendations so much as actually lay out the... I, I took it less as an as expert... Um, expertise in how you accomplish a solution and much more laying out the situation that has to be addressed. Oh, I was reading. Um, Laying out the situation that has to be addressed, but not going nearly far enough. Now, remember, I live in a different country that's very protective uh, of my, uh, of digital rights. Sure. I, I I actually feel like she spent a lot of she actually overmade her point and and actually lost 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 me at times as a reader and then gets was, was, gets yeah. gets repetitive gets very I mean it, you know yeah yes you've said that before yes I've seen the re- I I see the reference and you've done a great job of you know kind of footnoting every time you made a claim wonderful get on with it and i think yeah. this is what joanne is is kind of responding to it's kind of like okay you've made your case it's <laughs> it's a horrible situation it's terrifying it's terrifying, it's terrifying. You, i'm i'm well, actually at one point 
At one point, Rich, I was like, enough already. I get the message. You don't have to hit me over the head with the book. Exactly. And this is a, this is, yeah, it's a style of writing. It's a style of research, of legal research uh, that, you know, yeah, you can kind of see what, what her training, what her training is and, and, and the kind of audience she's used to writing for. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes, it makes sense to me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I, I was like making notes must speak to Ann Kevorkian about this. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Because I mean, she used to be the privacy commissioner for Ontario. She's now in a oh. federal position and I do know the woman and I'm like, how, how, how has she not like responded back to this? Yes. But, okay. There's a boundary between the two countries. I get that. But. But the, the challenge that I, I see, and I thought she laid out really well was that the federal government benefits so much sure. from from the status quo, but I mean, they I do think no... there's there's we've we've challenges with big tech and lobbying and and protecting interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, her point early in the book that I thought was in, in you know consistent across other industries is that when regulation is pulled back, it 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 benefits the big incumbents, not the small players. That that strangely, yeah. Strangely to me, um, or counterintuitively, small companies tend to benefit from regulation more than big companies do. Yeah. Right. A, la- uh, a lack of oversight. In a lot of cases. A lot of cases. And, right. and the, the, the reduction of regulation and, and oversight that actually probably started in, during the Clinton administration is probably as much to blame for what the situation is we have today as anything. I would right. agree. Um, that that to me is one of the interesting takeaways from the book. Even if you know, separate out the, the very real concerns and, and a lot of the scary data integration and the, uh, the walled gardens and the, the at the end of the day, the, there's very little incentive um, to tear to add regulations that that make this information flow more restricted. Um, and and one of the things that I don't know how to how you argue against is most people, even though they they wouldn't like everything that's laid out in this book, if you said we're we're going to make it harder for companies to share and use information. You would be like, oh, wait, wait, that scares me. I don't want it to be harder to share and use information. Um, you really have to go down in the weeds with this to be like, oh, wait, we've made it so easy that that they literally just dump all this information to a pile and they don't care if it's right or not. And <sighs> well, that that just right there, you know, it says makes an argument for a kind of transparency kind of. It, mm-hmm. it, it would be the moral equivalent of the, you know, kind of a, a real Freedom of Information Act when it becomes about um, data information that is arguably owned or impacts an individual or 
a, a company. Um, the ability to know, you know, what's being held, have the ability to to basically uh, challenge its accuracy, and that, uh, you know, what what we have here. I mean, to some degree, to, to Joanne's point is, um, it's an alignment problem. What are the what are the ethical principles? What are the legal and moral principles? over, you know, that should be guiding whatever governance, whether it's positive or negative, um, you know, whether it's, you know, constraining or, or transparency, what do you, you know, what are the, what are the principles that you establish and how do you get alignment on that? Um, I think the point that, that she does make convincingly is why certain parts of government are loath to go after, you know, the <laughs> you know the Thomson Reuters and and Reed Elsevier's, right? Do do we have? I mean, her her idea that copyright violation and the way we pursue somebody who breaks the DRM, you know is, you know, we have higher penalties on that than, than, you know, other types of, um, it's, yes, it's really weird from that perspective. Like you could steal a book (laughs) and face less penalty than, than you do breaking the DRM to, for your own use and storage. Right. Um, but like the story of that, uh, uh, Nintendo Switch jailbreaker, who, yeah. um, in addition to the jail term, he's essentially paying like ten percent of his paycheck to Nintendo for the rest of his life. <laughs> I miss that. No, no. But it's the classic no. argument. To Klaus's point, I mean, and, and to your point, copyright law internationally i think is such is probably the most antiquated law on the books because it's never been updated to reflect technology's advancement it goes back to the quill and scroll and there's no no one has ever taken up the gauntlet to get it changed to something more realistic I mean, no, the only time the only time copyright law gets gets modified is when Disney wants to extend the uh, the uh, <laughs> the length of co- the copyright they have on Mickey Mouse. You know, it's <laughs> I mean, but is there is there a reasonable concept of ownership here? I mean, that is probably the ah. key issue. That is the key issue, key issue. What does it mean to own information? And let's back it off. Maybe it's not ownership. What are the rights that multiple individuals or multiple parties can have on the use of data, on the use of information? And it's, a, it's an issue of... Um, I think it's it's 
what governance comes down to is establishment of policy and then enforcement of policy. If you get into the whole notion of who owns what data, I mean, ownership meaning kind of I have complete control, um, you're going to get, you get lost very quickly. It's what yeah. do you have rights to, and it's those rights are shared. I mean, oh, we've turned everything into services now, though. Right? I mean, you could... Yes, but we have limitations on the use of those services, don't we? In the terms of service, that's where sure. the garden walls start to get built. And there's even limitations on the versions of data that you can use. That too. Uh, like for example, uh, TeamViewer. You, you get a lifetime license, but that's for a specific version of TeamViewer. They, they release a new version, your lifetime license means crap to them. I and as a software provider, that's right. I I understand it, and that's that's how we the models we build. Somebody who's saying I want I want to purchase you know a digital good. Um, you know, there's uh, I I don't know what else to do on that one. I this, I struggle with this personally. It's like how do we provide you know long-term access to software if that's what you need to have in a, in a way that's both fair to the consumer and the producer. Um, and, and I would also be remiss yeah. if, if I didn't also mention abandonware. Like that there's yeah. so much software that is properly licensed, but just uh, yeah. the, the, the vendor stops updating it or the vendor goes under. Um, who 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 gets ownership of that now? Yeah, and what are your rights when that happens? You know, um, if you if you get a piece of software, if you get a piece of equipment from you know a piece of hardware from some vendor, the vendor disappears. John, let's, John, let's say John Deere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's say, but let's just say you know a, a less some a company less. Uh, uh, less uh, likely less, to go less under. Less durable. Less durable. Yeah, okay. less durable. You know, they they sell you a toaster. They sell you a tractor. Um, and you know, if you're dealing with a you know a John Deere kind of a situation where you're basically not, you don't have ownership. You basically have license to use uh, under certain terms. And what happens when? The vendor goes goes under. Do you then, you know, is there a principle where you kind of say, you know, um, I have I have the item. It's in my possession. I paid for it, uh, or I have been paying for it. Um, at this point, it's now mine in total, and I get to do with it what I want. I get to open it up and and you know. Uh, modify it uh, where prior to this point I was not allowed to. Those are kinds of principles that have to be put in place for hardware. I think they also have to be put in place for software and for 
digital rights to content. Should also that there should also be a limit on what can be made subscriptable. Like for example, mm. the, the, the 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 trend in the past couple of years in the automotive industry to make each feature of a vehicle a subscription. That's mm -hmm. disgusting. A separate service, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you have the hardware. You have, you would right to repair. You technically have access to the firmware. Why are features locked out from you? Yeah. Well, you know that's that's a very interesting. I I have that as a personal conundrum because I have OnStar in my car, and hmm. at a certain point they said, well, you need to upgrade the hardware to be able to continue to use it. I called the dealership and I said, okay, what do I do here? And they said, well, this is going to cost you X thousands of dollars and you have to only get it through us, et cetera, et cetera. And then I said, well, screw that nonsense because it's not worth it to me. I have Google and Waze and you know whatever um, for the nav. Uh, what can I do here? And it very quickly came to be that Sirius Radio decided to unconnect un itself from OnStar. So you didn't have to be locked out of your radio and your, you know, entertainment if you chose not to continue paying for the OnStar, because in order to do so, to make it actually function, you would have had to upgrade all of the equipment. Now it so happened the in the debundling time. Pardon? Yeah. Debundling, this yes. Is, yeah, okay. Couldn't think of the word. Yeah. And even then they had to re rejig the whole offer because what they were charging me $124 a month for, I said, thank you, I'll take the $499 version. <laughs> and they couldn't figure out how to do it. And I said, well, okay, then cancel my account and I'll go re-up the ante on just Sirius. You can't prevent me from doing that because the hardware is already in the car. Oh, and I did the same so thing with weird. Bell on the phone so service challenges. in the car. But, but this is the basics of the conundrum that we begin to get go under as we look at every new feature of every new vehicle as being mm -hmm. an as-a-service. Being driven by, mm -hmm. well, right, it's being driven by software. Like, Correct. I, I forgot which, which manufacturer it was that, that uh, made keyless entry uh, um, subscription service. Was it BMW or Mercedes? It was really? BMW. It was Mercedes. Yeah. It was a Mercedes. Oh. Uh, and Tesla also made like their their ludicrous speed uh, a subscription service uh, several years back. Um, um, other manufacturers are that. also toying with, with with similar ideas. I yeah, I mean, the, the it's funny because right these are physical goods. And we've co-mingled them with software and copyright. Um, and then, I mean, and then if what's the obligation for the vendor to then issue patches and updates for it? 
The same problem you have if you if you buy if if you said, oh, I'm going to buy a version of software, you install it, you download it, you don't pay a subscription. You now only have the version that they have that, that you bought, um, right. which I think is consistent with books. Like if I buy a song or a book. You know, when it was if physical, you buy sheet music, if you buy the sheet music or right? are you talking about buying a, a physical embodiment? Sorry, I was thinking about back when you would buy a CD and you would have like I have a stack of CDs um, that technically I own the rights to play songs. And, you know, it's when I'm streaming stuff, I'm not it's not coming back and saying, oh, Rob already I don't pay additional for those songs, but nothing's comparing it. Well, to you, what you, I already have in a, in a but you do library. you are under obligations because you have you have it under a particular kind of license. You can't I, take mm-hmm. that CD and put it on the internet for everybody to share. That's, that's, that's what happened true. with Napster, right? And, and you also forget the broadcasting. Uh, back was it seventies, eighties when 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 cassette tapes came out. Music industry fought really hard against really that hard. because their argument yeah. was that like everyone was going to copy their music everywhere. No one was going to buy anything. But right, the, the lost at that point. But it was a tough battle when CDs, yeah. when recordable CDs came out. The same story happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, I, I and now and. And now we've created DRM so that the people who own, this is, I think, one of the big points in the book, is that now what we've done is we've actually made it where you can protect the copyability of, of these resources. Right? We've, we've, the industry, the industry from that perspective is delighted. Like my, my streaming service now, right, I, I'm, I don't have any material way to, to I mean, I could air gap it, but... Um, you know, to, to make copies of these songs. I'm either paying for the th- songs or disappear. Consumers, on the other hand, are, are, are rightfully, in my opinion, uh, upset about it because you, your entire library that you paid for for access is now linked to your account. If your account gets Correct. removed for any other reason, you lose access lost. to the entire library. You cannot port it. And this has happened to people who's who's had their their Apple accounts deleted and, and lost their iTunes libraries, who had their Google accounts deleted and, and, and lost or Amazon libraries. You can't even easily get a list of all the stuff that you own in those li- in those resources. On the, so like I'm, I'm transitioning well. from Napster to um, Spotify. I've been a Napster customer since for twenty years since they were Rhapsody, since they reemerged as Rhapsody, right? Um, but I can't easily export my playlists, which is actually the one material thing that I care about at the moment, because I can stream whatever all the music bill, right? I'm paying for that privilege. Chris um, Short actually had that issue when, when he moved away from Spotify. Um, was it last year, I believe? Um, so th- there are third-party services that um, essentially scrape your... Uh, your settings in your account and let you export them and import them into other music services. Right. That's, I'm, I'm going to have to do the same thing for Napster if I choose to keep my playlist. Um, but at this point, but, I'm... But, but these, I mean, it, this is what's weird. It's not even the property of the music that is now constrained. This is back to the Reed Elsevier stuff. It's actually 
my notes, my, my notes, my likes, my preferences, my data is not mine in these services. Your metadata. Yeah. My metadata in that sense. Yeah. So, well, ah, yeah. you know, it's funny because I'm about to do this uh, thing with a vendor and I'm speaking about the fact that there is no such thing as manufacturing anymore. You don't make a product. You can make the best toys in the world, but what you actually sell is smiles. Not only for the customer that you're selling it to, but the person who's buying it, everything is a commodity. And the biggest mm. rate of return is on the intelligence as a service that's being provided, whether it's the John Deere model or the Caterpillar model, whatever that service is, services, subservices, components of service, all of that intelligence is where manufacturing is going. That's where it's making its money. It's the enhanced version. Right. It's like, you know, um, there's a, a racket company in France that got really smart, was losing market share. They make wooden rackets. They put sensors on the outside of the, uh, on the rim of the racket so that you could download an app and see how well you were playing. Then they decided to stop selling the racket and sell only the service where the racket was the freeware. Mm. Mm. And it does everything from tell you when to get it restrung and how it should be strung to where you can improve your game to the parking places that you can book online for the tennis courts, the reservations, the membership fees, blah, 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 blah. I could go on and on. And this is right. never ending. And they've now turned themselves from a small uh, family run business into a billion dollar entity in like two years. Just because impressive. they figured out that the racket, no matter how great the workmanship was a commodity. At least with and that, like, if you stop the subscription, you still have a racket that's functional. With with uh, a lot of mm -hmm. digital, in particular, connected goods, mm -hmm. um, like take an example again, like in the news last year, I think I believe for two years ago was Peloton. Like mm -hmm. their their devices, it, it, if you stop the subscription, you have a hunk of metal. Right. Uh, the bike doesn't work. Well, I mean, you, you can you can still pedal on the thing, but you can't like adjust it. All, all of the you can't program it. Yeah, like the the, the screen uh, and all of that is just completely useless because it's linked entirely <laughs> to their service. Yeah, and there's no navigating, uh, by the way, to switch services. And, and so you're, you're in the software industry as well, like the DRM is yes, it, I, I understand why companies feel the need to have it, but the implementations for it are, are horrible. They're, they're, they're terribly intrusive. Um, and they're, and they're usually broken within a week of a new, of a new DRM that comes out. out you they're know. usually broken, yes, and they end up being attack vectors but because they, they, they need hmm. root-level access to, to the system. Oh, exactly. yeah. Then you also have, for example, the like some manufacturers of industrial equipment. They they geolock 
their devices. Like you, yeah. you, you move yeah. your, your, you move the system a foot to the left or to the right, I will stop working because the, the geo coordinates don't match it anymore. And there's no way to repro and there's no way for you as an as an owner to reprogram this. There was a case about a, an agribusiness that had that problem. They they bought more land, they moved the device onto that new land, it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So and were the antidote, the antidote for this would be to have the physical devices like people would have to be willing to buy and there'd have to be a market for physical devices that are not software locked. Um, and and we haven't, we haven't seen that. Like, like there's a couple of people like that make laptops that are modular and you can put anything on them. Mm -hmm. um, like, but, you know, how, how much would a tractor cost or, Actually, maybe I'll ask it this way. Why isn't there a rival for John Deere selling tractors that are open platforms? And they could charge a, maybe a 50% margin over John Deere to have an, a, a platform tractor that mm -hmm. would be compatible with multiple vendors. Um, yeah. They would the challenge also is have this, to... This, go ahead. Yeah, the, the challenge there is that when you, when you buy a tractor... Um, these things get beat up. They get broken. You mm -hmm. either have to, you know, figure out how, you know, you can repair it yourself and not blow the rest of the warranties and so forth. And that's usually, oh, you have to go to a, um, a certified uh, repair shop, you know, or uh, someone to serve it, uh, a service vendor. And if you're in, you know, if you're talking about farm equipment, sometimes that means a uh, hundred miles away. Yep. So you've got to put a tractor on a on a trailer bed and haul it down, you know, a hundred miles to someone to you know to repair it. You use use the approved tools. Yeah. Uh, I wonder um, if you see what happened with the electric electric cars coming in. They are fundamentally software platforms. Mm -hmm. Their computers on wheels, you bet. Uh, I'll give you a better one. If you were able to bring that tractor and they didn't have the part in stock, you would never be able to go to a rival company to get it because the authorized dealer for your particular unit has like an IMIED code. And I'm sure I, I just messed that up. Forgive me, but the dyslexia kicks in. Um, All right. And you can't you can't get it from another service provider. It won't, You're won't tied work. to that dealer, who yeah. only I mean, was solely in control. They've tried that with with cartridges for you know printers for you know right. You you have chip chips uh, cartridges. You know yep. you don't use you don't use the um, the right cartridge. Um, you know, you are out of luck. It won't work. You use and it, the right and, cartridge and, it, and you don't use it within a couple of months. Exactly. The, 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 so. I think that the fundamental problem here, and we're we're out of time on this. This has been a really uh, rich. This was a good suggestion for a book. I have to say, 
Um, it's yeah. interesting to me how how we veered from the book back into some of our classic CRM stuff. But right. we we are so locked in to this consumption model, right? Um, and this the, all these data brokers fundamentally are masters of the consumption model for information, right? And, um, and yeah. while she focuses on these these giants and. I think rightfully so. There are hundreds of data brokers who are specialists who are doing similar kinds of, of work. And they are very often, you know, running under the radar. And the things that they fear the most are the big giants who can come in and, and put them out of business crush them uh, in a variety of ways. So it's, it's like, you know, it's gangland, you know, the governance, <laughs> you know, the, the regulatory, you know, the policing and the governance, if you want to call it that of the, of the data broker world is um, being, you know, kind of handed over to a, a, an ex officio government of a different kind of a policing and it's this is scary stuff it, and it is i it found is the book scary. i found the book very informative about some things i agree with with everybody here joanne in particular here that she doesn't go far enough about solutions or how to deal with it but it was worth the read to understand how these how these cartels have been formed and how they exist under the radar and how interlocked they are with government that's supposed to be, you know, keeping an eye on them. Well said. All right. I'll I'll leave that as the closing comment, Rich. I think that's a good summary and we will keep, we will keep discussing it. The summer book is uh, Investments Unlimited and then Death of Expertise. So I already have that one on my Kindle. This was great. I, I, I actually love that we did this as a book club. So thank you. Uh, next, next week is uh, meta, is a continuing, continuing our exploration of metadata, the topic that keeps <laughs> on giving. Defining yes. that it actually we're trying to actually get to some definition of topology, and I will act as scribe and keep us on a some definitional work. Okay. Thanks, Tyler. Right. Bye, Tyler. Thanks. Thank you. I, I will ping Tyler I'll... and make sure he knows. Thanks. Bye. I am really delighted that we chose to do a book group. Uh, here, and we will continue to discuss titles. Our next one coming up is Investments Unlimited. I'll see if I can get the authors to to show up and and be part of that that conversation. Um, And how much we've tied it into other conversation topics for Cloud 2030, whether you're interested in software rights, AI, uh, all of the the DRM. Uh, This is really an interconnected topic for us and one that we enjoy talking about. And I feel like we make significant advancements with every time we talk about it. 
this is interesting to you, I would love to have you join us at the2030.cloud. Be part of these conversations. Add your, your thoughts, bring your questions. We want to have you part of the discussion. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.